0: Uh... Uh-huh we're going to be speaking to this passage very, very briefly this morning, because what I think would be really beneficial for us on Father's Day isn't just to hear from myself, you get to hear from me most weeks, but actually get to hear some stories about how some people in our own church community are living this out every, uh, every single day. Um, yeah, Matthew 7, 24 to 20 uh, to 29, and as you're turning there, a bit of background of what we're going to be reading. Uh, what we're reading here are the concluding remarks of the most well-known sermon of all time, which is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. It's preached by Jesus uh, right near the Sea of Galilee with this beautiful picturesque view overlooking uh, overlooking the sea. Now, Jesus, if you've read much of the Gospels, you would understand that he was a master communicator. Um, By any uh, modern standards, he would be top of uh, of the list when it comes to being a master of communication and so you would think that at the end of the most famous sermon of all time that he would have shared some word of encouragement or challenge to spur on his followers in what they were doing but instead what Jesus does is he shares a word of warning particularly a word of warning for uh, for difficult times that we might go through in our lives. This passage is going to be very familiar for many of you. You may have grown up learning this passage and hearing it multiple times in different ways, and you might think of that phrase, that familiarity breeds contempt. But I would say it's far more likely for familiarity with this passage to, uh, to breed apathy. It would be very easy to hear what is said from this passage to go in one ear and out the other but can i just encourage you these words from jesus were his final remarks of the sermon on the mount the most famous sermon of all time and so this was something important that he wanted his disciples to hear so listen to these words allow these words to go deep into your heart this is jesus conclusion to his most significant teaching in his life and it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words—the words that he has just been saying all the time before uh, in the in the sermon—anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law." Every month, our church council meets on a Wednesday night, and usually we aim to have the meetings done by about 9.30. This does manage to happen on a rare occasion. We do finish by 9.30, but there are very, very rare occasions where we finish early. And at our April council meeting, we did end up finishing a little bit earlier than 9.30. And so I went straight home knowing that there was a job that I really wanted to get done for that day. Um, the job that I needed to do at home was connecting some different taps and some things at our house. And of course, 9.30pm on a Wednesday night is definitely the right time to, to do this, with my wife and, uh, and child asleep in their rooms. And long story short, unfortunately, I'm not very gifted at doing things like this. And that night, I ended up flooding the upstairs of our house. <laughs> Water was going everywhere for about four minutes straight. I'm not giving you too much detail here about my incompetency, I'm giving you broad detail. Water was going everywhere for about four minutes straight and leaked through our floorboards into our downstairs area. We lost power in our house due to the water flowing downstairs and through some uh, electrical stuff, and I ended, up fly- I-, I ended up sliding down our long flight of stairs into the brick wall that was at the bottom of these stairs. I yelled out to my, lo- to my wife, when all of this was going on, who was asleep at that time, and she went around to the neighbours and got them to come and help fix everything up. We have very good neighbours where, where we live. Ultimately, things didn't end up being too bad for us. We were able to clean everything up by about midnight that night. But as we were cleaning this up, my wife reflected some thoughts back to me. <laughs> And one of the comments was actually something that has stuck with me. She said, Dave, you always seem to know what to do in a crisis. But when everything was going on this night, and the water was going everywhere, you just seemed to freeze. And she said, I've never seen you do that before. I've never seen you freeze up and uh, and seem so overwhelmed. In this moment when all the water was leaking everywhere through our house and I just slid down the stairs, I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt stuck. It didn't feel like there was anything I could do to fix this situation that I was in. I was frozen because I was so overwhelmed. I wonder for you when the last time was that maybe you felt like that. Maybe it was in a work meeting with your boss and you were getting reprimanded about something. Maybe it was at home with your kids screaming at you when you had other jobs that you needed to do. Maybe it was just a season of life when it felt like every single thing was all hitting you at the same time. No matter who you are, we are all going to have periods within our life where we will feel overwhelmed. Those times in our life when it feels like everything is too much and we're not really coping with what's going on. And this is what Jesus is speaking to here. Jesus describes two different types of people who will handle being overwhelmed in two different ways depending on who they are when the storm comes and when the waters rise in life and we feel overwhelmed there are two different ways that we can handle this as followers of Jesus now notice where Jesus is speaking to these people he's right next to the Sea of Galilee these people that he is speaking to are familiar with water their lives revolved around the Sea of Galilee these people understand how the sea and storms work and they lived, uh, this is was uh, governed their whole life. And the way Jesus chooses to talk to these people here is through sea imagery. Firstly, through someone who builds their life on a rock. Secondly, through someone who builds their life on sand. So firstly, let's look at this uh, Jesus description of someone who builds their life on the sand. Jesus' words here are that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who builds his, li- uh, builds his house on the sand. Firstly, this is for anyone who has heard Jesus teaching and continued to go and do their own thing without putting it into practice and allowing it to shape their lives. If you choose to op- or operate in this way, then in Jesus' words, you're a fool. In the original language, you're a moro, which is where we get the word moron. Jesus is saying, if you listen to me and you don't put my teaching into action, you're a moron. The people listening here would have resonated with his description of this. Jesus describes someone who builds their house on sand, and the people listening here would be thinking, yes... Any person who builds their life on sand is a moron. Why would you do that? And this is the message that Jesus is trying to get across. If you hear Jesus' words and you don't shape your life around His words, have your life founded upon His teaching, then you are a fool. To hear Jesus' teaching and not apply it in your life is against Jesus' teaching. Uh, Jesus' teaching. But on the other hand, allowing your life to be shaped and formed by Jesus' teaching, implementing His teaching into your everyday life is like someone who builds their life on something solid. There are good foundations there. It's unshakable and unmovable. It gives grounding and a foundation like rock. And Jesus' point here is to build your life on His teaching and the good news centred around His life Death and resurrection. And that's what gives you a foundation for this life. Now, as I'm saying all of this and uh, and speaking about this passage, you might be wondering, Dave, what does this have to do with Father's Day? Why are we speaking about this today of all days? Earlier on this year, I became a dad and on the 21st of January, Zechariah, that's my favorite photo of us together, Zechariah James Luthe was born and he's been with us for seven months now. But I didn't just become a dad. That's all I thought was happening. But I got welcomed into this new group, this new establishment called Parenthood. I joined the club. This was something I didn't even really know existed beforehand. Parenthood is this phase where parents have comments and discussion about everything to do with being a parent. There's always talk about the best ways to do feeding, sleeping, education, play, work-life balance, and everything else in life. And people can be very opinionated about these things, I've realised. I wasn't really expecting this, and so I've decided to do the wise thing. I've built my uh, my wisdom around parenting on the almost rock, which is listening to what my wife tells me to do. I rely on my wife to tell me what the best thing is to do with uh, with most of the the things regarding parenting. And my wife, she has done a huge amount of research into best parenting practice, and so I'm willing to be guided by her advice on many things. She explores courses and podcasts and apps and books and websites, and all of these are immensely helpful. She summarises it all for me, so I don't need to do this research. It's very kind. However, as a parent, as a man, as a husband, my primary responsibility is to raise Zechariah and any other possible future children to know Jesus Christ as Lord, to communicate His teaching into Zech's life, to teach my son about His heavenly Father. My foundation as a father shouldn't primarily be based... My rock is not primarily based on any course, podcast, app, book or website. My foundation is on the teaching of Jesus. So why am I speaking about this on Father's Day? Because we don't need more dads whose lives are shaped primarily by the sport they follow. We don't need more dads who are shaped by the car they drive. We don't need more dads whose lives are shaped primarily by the career they have. We don't need more dads whose lives are shaped by the money that's in their pockets. We need more fathers whose lives are shaped on the teaching of Jesus as their foundation, as their rock. And I genuinely believe that if you want to be... For all of us, for all of you guys here in the room, I genuinely believe that if you want to be the best father, husband, dad, man that you can be, anchor your life on the teaching of Jesus as your foundation. The time that this is important is when... Everything is going wrong in your life. This is something that we have to do every single day, anchor ourselves on the teaching of Jesus, because when the storms come, when difficulty comes in our life and we feel overwhelmed, then those are the moments when we need to be founded on something stronger than just the things of this world. This past week for me was one of those weeks where it just felt like everything was really full. I woke up, did what I needed to do, I continued to do the things that I had to do until I went to bed. And there was very little margin in my life over this past week. And this is usually fine if this happens, but this, unfortunately, was also one of these weeks where it was like that for my wife. She uh, runs a wedding floristry business as well as being mother of a seven-month-old. And on Friday, I hit this point where I realised that I was becoming frustrated and really irritable towards small things. And part of this was simply because I hadn't had the spiritual space I needed to be with Jesus and His teaching. And I said to Sarah, my wife, on Friday, look, Sarah, can I just go go for a quick drive, just have about 10 to 15 minutes and just have some time? And so I drove down to a nearby park. I stayed in my car. I read the Bible and I just prayed for about 10 to 15 minutes. And I felt something within me change. There was a peace that came over me. I was able to re-foundation myself on the teaching of jesus once again it was like i had re-centered myself again on his teaching and allowed his teaching to become my anchor again and so if you are a man father husband genuinely the thing that i think will make you better in your role is not the greatest advice online or from another person but it's through anchoring yourself in the teaching of jesus today, rather than sharing um, any more of my thoughts around something like this, what I want to do is invite a uh, a few guys from our church up who are going to share some of their wisdom about how they've been able to live this out in their everyday lives uh, in difficult times as well as good times. Um, This time right now, I've Quaint uh, Simon Says, because we have three Simons coming up. Simon Jockle, Simon Byrne, and Simon Kennedy. So can you make them feel real welcome as they come up right now? Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell all of us a little bit about yourself and your family. What do you do for work? Who's in your family? All the makeup of that. Okay, that
1: so... Um... Yeah, I'm Simon, my wife Samantha, she was here, but she's going to go to take Eden to a dance competition today on Father's Day of all days down the coast, so she's, she wanted to be here too, but she's left. So I have three kids, Eden is 15, turning 16 in September, Maisie's 13, and Ellis is nine years old, so two girls and a boy, and I, my job, teach two days a week, primary school and three days a week work for Outback Futures, which is a non-for-profit that supports Mental health wellbeing work in central west Queensland. Yeah.
0: Great. And your family makeup is a bit different than the other two Simons sitting here. So, how have you found it parenting teenagers over the past few years?
1: Yeah, actually, it's pretty good at the moment. And, and kind of when I say at the moment, it's never been particularly bad. I mean, I think the biggest challenge these days, for me personally, has always been the technology thing and how to manage that because it's just there, I don't like it, but it's there, so how to do that well to manage your kids and how they interact with that, so that's one of the challenges. But in general, um, it's been really nice seeing Eden go from being a 13-year-old, you know, that sarcastic eye-rolling kind of stuff, to she's kind of 15, 16 now, and just growing up, hearing her talk about the decisions she's making with her friends and um, the wisdom and the kind of delightfulness that comes back after those... 13, 14-year-old years when they're a bit kind of um, antagonistic. So it's kind of been, it's nice, actually. Um,
0: Yeah. So just off that, so what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced around fatherhood in your journey? Yeah,
1: I wrote some notes, so I'll just have a look at that quickly. But um, I think, to be honest, the biggest challenge around fatherhood is actually dealing with yourself. I think... um, so, managing your triggers. So when I say triggers, things that might make you cranky, or things that um, you try and impose on your kids that actually are about you and not them. Um, what's the third? So I'm just going to make sure I don't leap into the fourth question with this one. But um, yeah, so I think the biggest challenge has been personal growth. And I'm really glad that I'm married to Sam because she's, she runs a Parent TV website. That doesn't mean she knows everything about parenting, but we talk about it a fair bit, and that's been very helpful for me to think about myself and how I parent. Um, I I come from a background where my dad was quite authoritarian. I don't know if you've heard about the different types of parenting, but there's permissive, authoritative, authoritarian. Authoritative is supposed to be the best one, but it's quite authoritarian, so I'd slip into that zone. That's my, that'd be my DNA without even realising it. and I guess Sam's more on the permissive side. So both of us have, through growing and personal reflection, come towards the middle a bit more. And that's, so, yeah, that whole managing yourself has been the biggest challenge because I think your kids are mirrors of you in some ways. So the, the healthier you, I am, the healthier they're going to be. I mean, like healthy physically, emotionally, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably been the most challenging part, I'd say.
0: And so, just seeing, even thinking about what we are speaking about this morning, how has your faith shaped you as a father, or helped shape you?
1: How long have I got? <laughs> uh, so, in a concise way, I would say that. Um, so, for me, becoming a Christian when I was 16 was a big redirect in terms of, so my parents are divorced, my parents' parents are divorced. And the way I could imagine that I was heading in life wasn't great. So becoming a Christian was a big redirect for me personally, which mm. meant that it's an opportunity to be different and parent differently than I was parented. Um, and that's because of Jesus and I guess that life change that happened at that particular point. And also, but that life point, that change keeps happening every day. So the thing about becoming a Christian for me and parenting was that I became a christian life changed but that's not the end point of the change it keeps happening over and over again um and so there's the redirect part which I just talked about this forgiveness so forgiving yourself for not being perfect forgiving your kids for being imperfect um you know the stuff in the bible that is very good with regards to parenting about love being patient kind never giving yeah. up those things are really important for my how I think about my kids. And then the idea of sacrifice, um, that I think when you first have kids, the thing goes, oh, hang on, I'm losing my life here because you have, your priorities got to change. You can't just do what you want. But I guess if Christ was about sacrifice, ultimately sacrificing his life, we continually sacrifice ourselves for our kids. I guess, and you've got to maintain that you retain who you are as well but there's, a, there's that balance between, it's not just your life and what you want to do, sacrificing what you want to do for your kid for the sake of your kids. So there's that theme of sacrifice as well. So there's a few kind of narratives around, for me, what following Jesus means and how I parent, if that makes sense. That's great. Thanks, Simon.
0: Mr. Kennedy, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, your family makeup and what you do f- uh, during the week? Things
2: like that. Sure, I've had a few careers in my time. I started out as a physio, then was a professional muso, and now I'm a screenwriter. Uh, I, Anna is a nurse and she's not here today, Just, she's working. Uh, and I have three kids David, 13, Justin, 11, and Grace, who's 8. There
0: you go. Um, earlier on this year, you told me a uh um, very briefly, uh, a, a story about your son, David, who um, had a stroke a while ago, and that was a pretty difficult period. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And what, what
2: sure. Happened? It was the, uh, he was two years old, it was the night before our anniversary, and so uh, Anna's mother was over and was, we were about to leave, um, and she was look, going to be looking after the kids, and she came in and said, David's fallen over and hit his head. Um, he was kicking a soccer ball, and he seemed like he slipped, hit the back of his head. Um, but he was—you know—kids do that. But he was just inconsolable this time. Uh, and as a physio, uh, took—I was just holding him uh, for maybe 15 to 20 minutes, and then just noticed. I tried to put him down, uh, and it just didn't seem like he was standing properly. Um, yeah. <laughs> So just saw. Sorry, still brings. uh, Yeah, saw how he couldn't walk, with couldn't put weight on one leg, and he wasn't lifting one arm as he normally would to pick me up again. So uh, yeah, we called the ambulance. Um, I went in the ambulance with him. Um, I was just talking to Anna about it because. In the emergency room, um, Tim Burns was a a pastor here and his sister was one of the doctors uh, who was looking after us. And in the emergency room, I was crying, uh, just thinking about, well, I I treated people with strokes as a physio and I'm just thinking about what my son was potentially gonna happen with him, um, hoping he'd survive first off. But as Anna walked in, I was crying and she hadn't come in the ambulance, so the first thing she thought, saw was me crying and doctors all around the bed, and she thought that David had died. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, so many people here prayed. Uh, so many of our family. Um, we felt cushioned, I suppose, in this really hard time by by God and His and the family we have in Him. Uh, so many little things, and then. By the end of that week I've got a I haven't got many photos of that time um, but there's a little video of David and he could start to lift his hand and he kind of waved like this um, and full recovery amazingly he was drumming this morning so <laughs> yeah it's yeah. good. good
0: So it's clearly a uh, pretty um, uh, huge time in your life and so how did you see God working through all of that when that was going on?
2: Uh, just to go back a step I don't know if you other the Simons <laughs> uh, related to Matthew 16 when Jesus said to Simon when he declared you are the Messiah he said well I'm going to call you Peter so the, the rock um, so yeah I've identified with that very early on in my Christian walk and that basing my life on the rock um, yeah it's i think my understanding you you put your you're building your house on the rock in the good times so that when the storm comes Mm. uh and so i had 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 years of building my life on jesus and that was a storm and so i guess my house was ready Yeah. yeah yeah
0: great thanks simon simon Byrne. Do you want to, uh, same first question, so tell us a bit about yourself, what you do for work, and a bit about your
3: family as well. Yes, absolutely, um, I, was, I was struggling with uh, S- Simon Says, I was thinking the plural of Simon Says, sorry, I'm strange guys, is Simon's Sam. Say, there you yeah. go. Anyway. <laughs> um, so I, I'm Simon, I'm a bit strange, uh, Simon Byrne, uh, married to um, beautiful wife Kimberly, who is here today, um, she's a school teacher, I've got two children, um, Ezekiel, who who we call Zeke, who's uh, nine, and Anna, who's uh, seven. So I had a lovely Father's Day this morning with them. Um, I'm a development engineer, so I work with uh, pipes, underground water and sewer pipes. Great.
0: And from what I'm aware of, the first few months with Zeke was a particularly difficult time for you and Kimberly. Do you want to tell us a bit about what that was like?
3: Yes. uh, I've... I've, um, uh, had a bit of a crash cause, I've realised how long, it, it has been nine, uh, nine and a half years ago so I've had to do some unpacking last night but, um, and this morning, had a good cry this morning, Got pre-cry we call it. Um, but yes, uh, Zeke came into this world unexpectedly, uh, our first child. Um, I remember <clears throat> the day that I got the phone call uh, from my aunt who, uh, we, we were living at her place at the time, um, it was a duplex, and uh, I was at work and they said, come quickly, your wife's gone into early labour. And ordinarily, you know, that's that's something that happens to quite a few people. But she gone into labour at uh, twenty four weeks and seven days, uh, six days. So I jumped on the tr- on the bus, uh, caught it to Royal Brisbane, and um, my wife had started going to labour. So um, Zeke was born that night at about uh, twelve. So a family race down as well. And um, I'm going to give you the, tea, uh, the, the too long didn't read version because I could probably talk about it for half an hour. Mm. I wouldn't be as eloquent as my wife, but there's there's a there's a huge story there, and, yep. and uh, I'd like to bless the church another time with the full story. So I'll just give you some highlights or some uh, some some peaks and troughs. Um, so when Zeke was born, he was born breech. We had three doctors in the room. One was my sister. She wasn't there officially, but she was there for support. And um, after he was born, uh, my wife was uh, she was pretty much out of it, so she had to leave the room. And uh, he went into cardiac arrest and they took him out on a crash cart and um, I was just praying for him and um, I was in a different place mentally. Um, but they came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, come and come and meet your son. I said, well, look, I'm pretty sure I've got a daughter because that's, that's who was born. And they said, no, you've got a son. Um, we can prove it. Come and have a look. <laughs> um, so I saw my son for the first time and he was like an alien baby. He was translucent. He just didn't even really, like, he, he was a, a person, but I just couldn't identify him as a human being. So they took him to the ICU, put him in an isolate, and um, Kimberly was wheeled out in a weird wheelchair about an hour later. And the, the, the doctor there, lovely doctor, her name's Mel, she read us a, she basically gave us the hard news and said, if he survives, um, there's probably only about a 40% chance of survival. Um, this is what Zeke won't be able to do. And you can imagine the list, it's very long. Won't eat, uh, you have to feed him, he won't be able to talk, he won't be able to walk. Um, uh, basically, yeah, you're, you're going to have a high needs um, child. And so that wasn't uh, so much confronting as shocking, we just were, you know, rabbits in a headlight. So um, we did two things. Uh, so we were at hospital for a couple of days, um, staying there, and then we had to go home, because the ho- you can't stay hospital long term. So. Fortunately, um, we lived very close to the hospital, walking distance from the hospital, praise God. Um, so we did two things after we got out of hospital. One was um, we put um, a Bible verse on Zeke's in his isolate um, from Isaiah 40. I won't read that today for time. But the other thing I did was I went and bought a train set, a Lego train set. And um, looking back, I kind of think that was, it was a bit of a funny thing to do. But I think God just put it in my heart to say, there is a hope here. You know, you don't have to abandon hope. And so um, that's what I did. So we then, for the next um, five and a half months, uh, had Zeke in hospital. So we, we stayed with him for the last two nights, which was sort of uh, getting ready to go home. And um, if you'll forgive me, just, just a couple of quick stories. Um, so our church was a, a powerhouse uh, at the time. We, we, we've come from uh, Windsor Road Baptist Church. They rallied behind us, just like your church, Simon, here. And... Um, Uh, They gave us lots of food love, as we call them, made meals, they made us all sorts of things, because we were, Kimberly was at the hospital full time, I was working. And um, Zeke had, uh, within a few days they told us that he'd had um, intraventricular hemorrhaging, which is brain bleeds. So on a a grade um, four scale, where four is the worst, he had a four on one side and a two on the other side. And um, so we knew that was pretty serious. And then I'd say, yeah, after a few weeks, they said, oh, look, you know, we really need to see this blood drain out. Otherwise, we might have to put a shunt in or something to relieve the pressure. Um, so we kept praying. People were praying. People were sending us messages from other side of the world saying, you know, we're from South Africa. We don't know who you are, but we're praying for you. So we were just going, we're just being carried here by God. And, um, yeah, within two months, uh, the doctors called us into a room and they said, we've done another scan. And we cannot account for this behavior. Um, uh, the brain, the, the bleeds that have happened in Zeke's brain are not only um, not there anymore, the brain seems to be recovering. And um, we actually can't account for that. Yeah. We don't have a scientific or a medical reason as to why that's occurring. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. When we tell people the story of Zeke, um, often you know, people who don't know God as well, they'll say, isn't it amazing? The, the wonders of science and the, the marvels of modern medicine and we say, you know what, that's not what the doctors said. The doctors didn't say that at all. They just said, we can't account for this. Yeah, okay. So we know, we know how it happened. Yeah. Praise God for that. Yeah. Um, so just one more, one more quick touch point as well. So we spent a lot of time in the hospital, made lots of friends. Um, we've got friends today who had children in the hospital. And I guess what I wanted to say as well is that this is not a story of um, health, wealth and prosperity. You know, this is a story of God's unmerited favour, mm. his grace. To us yep. other people had children die while we were there in the hospital um, or children who are much worse off and um, you know you do have survivors guilt a little bit mm-hmm. but at the same time you just have to thank God for what he's done yep. in Zeke's life so Zeke now today is a happy thriving boy um, took him to different hospital appointments along the way and at two um, we had all of these tests it was like four hours of tests in the hospital and um, the results were average and normal and we praised God for average and normal that's great. So, yeah, that's, that's the story <laughs> of Zeke <the, laughs> in the short term.
0: Just one last question for you, Simon, particularly through that difficult time of those first few months, of those five months, how was your faith shaped and how forming you and holding you up during that time?
3: Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it, is a, it is a tough question to answer because it's in a myriad ways. But um, I want the one thing I, want, I was reflecting on yesterday and this morning was that jesus was interceding for us and I often tell my kids that um i ask my daughter where, where's jesus right now like where is he you know he's not here we we say that he's with us where, where is he and anna she's 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 well versed on this at least she goes dad jesus is at the right hand of the father he's sitting there and so um that's where jesus was and that's where he is today and i can't account for how jesus interceded for us and continues to uh, in our daily lives and um the ways specific ways that he's interceded for us he he kept us he he gave us that um situation to go through you know as a grace but he kept us in their faith and he helped us to persevere and you know to him to him it goes the glory Yeah.
0: yeah great gents thank you so much for your vulnerability and honesty this morning um Yeah, I'm sure we're all very blessed by your stories. Can we just give them a huge uh, thank you for sharing with us? Hey, can we all stand together? Just as the uh, worship team comes up uh, right now, I just want to give us an opportunity to uh, pray together but in particular to pray for the uh, men in our lives. Um, and so I just want to ask for, uh, for all the ladies in the room, if you could just um, do something right now. If you could just, uh, if there's someone who is um, a relative or friend or something like that, a, a man near you, um, can I just ask you to place your hand on them and we're just going to pray for the, uh, for the men in our, uh, in our church together. You can either close your eyes or you can read the words on the screen. So, dear God, we thank you for the gift of dads in this life. We thank you that you are the greatest dad ever, Abba Father, and we know that you cover us in your great love. We pray for your blessing, favour and strength over every dad in this world, for those who are seeking to walk closely with you in a dark world, and for those who just need to be reminded that you are real, we ask for your renewed courage, for your boldness, for your spirit to fill them. Make them always aware and alert of the schemes of the enemy. We ask that you would keep their footsteps firm and guard their way. We ask that you would help them to always stand strong, to be men of faith, to say no to what is wrong and say yes to what is right. We ask that you would fill their hearts with love, compassion, joy, faithfulness, and cover their lives with great peace. Lord, we pray that you would raise up mighty men, godly men in this generation, those who would know you and honour you with their entire lives. We pray that they would stand firm in the faith, walk wisely and follow hard after you. May they grow in their love and passion for you, for their families, and in the calling to follow you above all else. Thank you for dads who fight for their families who do battle in prayer over those they love thank you god that your word is true we hold fast to you today we choose to immerse our lives in your truth we know that you are always with us and you always cover us in your power and strength in jesus name amen